6: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
7: Hello, it's Tony Howell, and I want to welcome you to our season finale of Conversations with Changemakers. One of my mantras is honor your past, present your present and design our future. I've been honored to interview 23 incredible change makers on this show. And most recently, I listened to 23 hours of audio to present you with this recap. The singular biggest lesson, the through line that I heard centers around authenticity. The ubiquitous Nathan Lee Graham says it best.
8: It all comes back to authenticity. Because uh, when you are your authentic self, people can intrinsically feel that energy. Energy is palpable. Energy is real. So try to be that. Try to find who that is as soon as you possibly can. And just become more of it. I always say, whoever you are, whatever you are, become more of it. And I mean that.
7: Rewinding to my very first conversation with my friend and client, Jen Waldman, she says the same thing, especially when it comes to your online presence and creating a brand.
9: When it's honest, it plays a huge role because in many cases, we're finding people, meeting people for the first time on the internet. And so you can really smell a mile away when someone is full of it and when someone is authentically representing themselves. So when someone is authentically representing, that goes a long way. And I don't even think of it as, you know, we, we work in similar but different circles. So the word branding to me is not one that is really in my daily vocabulary, mostly because most people don't approach it like you, Tony. They don't go to their clients and say, what change are you seeking to make in the world? Instead, a lot of branding looks like, well, we've done market research and what people want is X. So you should modify your brand to represent what people think they want. Like you would never approach it that way. But I think branding as a concept really has that stigma around it. And what I think it is, And why I love working with you is figure out what you're about. And this is also in very many ways, my own why. Figure out what you're about and then express it. And so where are you expressing it? You're expressing it on your social media platforms. You're expressing it on your website. And so when you know who you are and you're able to express yourself, people respond to that. So I think it plays a huge role. What I see a lot of artists doing is looking around and going, well, that person's very successful, so they must have figured out the formula for branding and marketing, so I'll just copy what they're doing and expect that it's going to work for me. Well, it worked for that person because that's really who they are.
7: I look at branding as sharing your humanity or tapping into the humanity of your audience. I do have a free brand bootcamp available on my website, TonyHowell.co, but my annual class on personal branding and photography is starting this January. So if you're interested in that, make sure that you check out Presence. You may know that I equate a lot of metaphors to my favorite movie, The Wizard of Oz. So when it comes to branding and sharing your authentic self, your humanity, We've gotta follow the yellow brick road. First, we're going to listen to your heart. That's authenticity. Then you use your brain and you get into this strategy, but then it takes courage. Listen to leading man, Telly Leung, describe putting himself out there courageously on the cabaret stage.
10: It's it's hard to share personal stories about yourself because it's, it's, it's it feels like you're naked on stage. But, off, but you know, and, and also at the same time, you say to yourself, is it enough? Like, is my, who wants to hear about my story? There's that little, like, voice in the back of your head that goes, you are not interesting. Like, your story is boring. Um, but actually finding that courage to tell your story in, in the most authentic way and in the most truthful way and to actually engage an audience in your story makes them, it, it actually helps move people. You know it actually helps people kind of look back at their own stories and maybe find the courage to tell their stories as well. So um, that's def- definitely something I've learned by doing concerts and by doing cabaret to just trust that my story is interesting enough, and that if I'm truthful to that and that somebody will connect to that um, and and oftentimes it's the more specific, the better. you know, like I talk about my family a lot in my shows and it's a very it's very specific. I come from a cantonese Chinese Cantonese immigrant home in New York City like it's so specific but you know me being very specific about my my upbringing and that household you know I find that you know there there are kids who grew up in Indian American homes are like oh my gosh that's totally my parents (laughs) or kids that grew up in like Latino homes are like yep we have those we have traditions too and they're sticklers about x y and z and this is why and so people connect and they and um and I think that's always the goal of doing concert work and cabaret work, when you get an intimate room like that, you know, when you're at a, at a place like Birdland or Feinstein's at 54 Below or any of these great little rooms where cabaret artists are working and you're hearing their stories, you know, it's a chance for everybody to feel like we're, we're not so alone when you share that story you know, and you can share it in an authentic way. And my goal is to always have people kind of leave my concerts or leave my shows going, I know a little something about that person Not that person's work. Not that Telly played rent. You know, was in Rent or Telly was in In Transit or Aladdin or Wicked. Does that doesn't matter. The resume stuff doesn't really matter. Like I know that person a little bit more, and and wow, how wonderful that he was able to share his story. Where are the opportunities for me to share mine? And I guess if I can get one or two people in that audience or more to leave and go, uh, you know, my family story really interesting, or like my my story about me me finding love is very interesting. You know that that maybe I feel like then I've accomplished my job as an artist.
7: It is super scary to share who you are and your experiences, but let the words of these next two changemakers inspire you to share your truth. First, the host of Future Hindsight. Mila Atmos.
3: The biggest impetus to sharing is that I discovered that some of the feelings that I had about life in general are pretty common and uh, that I'm not alone. And I think there's a feeling out there among many people that whatever they're going through is unique uh, in in this big life on this planet. You know, I mean, it's in of course, these times, in as these well. times, in these times, even, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, there are a lot of things you go through and you think, oh, my goodness, this is so isolating and it's so lonely. And uh, how am I going through this on my own? But it turns out we're really not doing that. All of us have something very similar going on. Uh, and, you know, a lot of these life milestones are so common, but we don't think about them that way. And we don't share about them that way because so many people hide these challenges, right? And so we like to pretend, especially with social media, I would say it makes it worse because we like to pretend that our lives are these perfect, shiny objects, you know, for show. Uh, and that's just not how it actually is.
7: And now, Broadway recording artist Katherine Allison.
3: I was so
11: grateful to be that job, but I felt like I... There was something in my chemistry that was like, I, I want to... I felt like I learned what I could learn in this experience as a, and I wanted to grow. Um, and I felt like I was being kept in a, I mean, I felt like I was keeping myself in a box that I couldn't remove. Um, and so, yeah, I, I was really lucky to, I reached out to my agents about it and they were very supportive and um, about what I was going through and also You know, I see a therapist every week and she really, really guided me through that process. Um, And I mean, I'm not saying it wasn't hard, it was hard. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And, you know, talking to people who are close to you about it, I think definitely helps to release the burden because I felt really guilty I was like these people that I look up to um and that have celebrated me in every moment I feel like I'm not giving them my all um and I'm really a person that's like I want to you know they're working just as hard as me on on either side of me on stage like I don't want to give any less than that and that was hard to grapple with um so yeah so those are the things I would say I I Therapy like really helped me immensely. And I wrote a lot during that time, I think writing. Um, yeah. And just talking to those like in your inner circle and getting perspective from them. Because more often than not, there are other people that are going through the same thing with you. And uh, you can help each other through it, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. That's what I would say. That's the first time I've like actually really talked about
7: this. Beyond authenticity, the next biggest lesson that I heard that is particularly helpful during this pandemic is that your job is not your identity. Your identity is not your job. So this goes hand in hand with both branding and business, but identity work is so much deeper. So here's Christine Cole, CEO of Flawless, sharing her career journey.
2: I actually came to the city to sing. Uh, I went to Ithaca College uh, and um, always knew growing up I wanted to be a singer. And uh, so as soon as I graduated, I, I did the thing that many artists do, which was come to the city and get a job as a waitress and uh, audition like crazy, and take class like crazy, and um, and you know fight my my way into a singing career. Um, and I did that for a lot of years. Uh, and while I did that, I obviously continued to pay my bills. Uh, between gigs, I would land by working in restaurants. Um, and. My dad said to me um, early in my years, he said, um, why why are you waiting tables? And I said, well, to pay my rent, obviously, duh, dad. And he said, you're wasting your life. And for my dad to say that to me, um, hit me like a knife in the chest. Um, and he said, it looked at me and he said, you've got to figure out what you're doing uh, in these walls other than paying your rent. Find something that lights you up, that is worth all this time you give to it. So I said, uh, I thought about that. And that's when um, my lo- already love for food and wine um, really began to flourish. Uh, so I started to really invest in, in service and food and wine and, and have a delightful time while I was waiting tables in between my gigs. Um, Then doors started to open up for me in restaurants. And honestly, that success was really attractive. Um, Even though I'd had success as a singer, um, the consistency uh, and the perseverance that is required of an artist to keep going um, was waning on me. So I started to take some of the offers uh, in management uh, in restaurants and Um, My career just went crazy. So I've spent now the last 20 years uh, owning or running uh, New York City restaurants um, and managing teams. And a year and a half ago, I uh, left operations of restaurants to start Flawless.
7: This is comparable to New York Times best-selling author, Marie Forleo. So here she is describing her path.
5: When I graduated from school, uh, my first gig was on Wall Street on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. I'm a human who has a lot of energy. And when I was an undergrad, I just couldn't imagine sitting in a cubicle like at a desk all day. That felt like death to me. So the notion of Wall Street was really exciting, but here's the deal, Tony. Uh, Once I got there, I was super grateful to have a job. um, I'm the first in my family to go to college. So having a job on Wall Street was like, whoa, this is amazing. I have healthcare. I have a steady paycheck. But within about six months, I realized that was not the place for me. I mean, uh, while the folks I work with, you know, they were, I, I believe they were good humans. It was quite a sexist environment. It was like 99.9% men. The culture was such where, you know, you'd go to work, the, the kind of bell rings at four o'clock, you hit strip clubs. There's like, People doing tons of Coke and then you kind of repeat that cycle over and over. I'm like, this is not my life. Like, this is not my jam. This ain't my scene. It's like, I need something different. And I remember just feeling so confused because I knew I was meant for more. I knew I was meant to do something. I wanted to do something where I could make a difference to people in a positive way. I didn't know what that looked like or what that could be. All I knew was that I hated my job where I was. And um, I remember one day actually feeling quite physically ill on the floor of the exchange. Like I was I heard this little voice inside going like this isn't you, this isn't it, you need to do something else. But I kept trying to push it down because I was so scared because I didn't have another answer. And one day, I was having basically a panic attack on the floor. And I told my boss at the time, I said, hey, I need to go out and grab some coffee. And I made a beeline to the nearest church. I was raised Catholic, and I had just gone to St. Paul University, which is like a Catholic university. So in a crisis, I'm always kind of trained to look up and just ask for some guidance. And I remember um, the first clue I got was to call my dad. And I took out my flip phone because it was the late nineties and I called my dad and I was like crying the ugly cry because I felt so guilty. I didn't want to be ashamed to my family, you know, for quitting a perfectly good job with not having any backup plan. And I knew they weren't going to, you know, take care of me. I had to take care of myself. And my dad really gave me um, a piece of life-changing advice. When he broke in after I stopped crying, he said, Ray, he's like, calm down. He's like, you've been working since you're nine years old. I'm so not worried about you, you know, doing whatever you have to do to keep a roof over your head. He said, but look, you're going to be working for the next 40 to 50 years. If you can't stand this job as much as you're, you know, it's making you sick right now, you have got to leave and find something that you love. Keep searching and searching until you find something that you're so passionate about, that you find so engaging, that's really fun for you, because then you're never going to feel like you work a day in your life. And I know it might sound a little cliched, but it's freaking true. And that was the permission slip that I needed to really figure out who I was and and how I can make a difference in this world.
7: Especially for artists, it's important to know that your career is not your life. You can separate work and life. And here's Broadway, TV, film, and voiceover actor, Christina Alabado sharing that point of view.
12: When I met my husband, it, it was so clear that you can have both and that you should have both and that you need both. Uh, again, not only as a spouse, but as an actor. it's It's really both ways. And I think our relationship together is full support but also we take our marriage so seriously and like there's something so comforting in a business that is so not consistent and not stable to have stability i never necessarily thought that that would be so calming to me and and the thing that keeps me even like i have a lot of techniques on how to get over not getting a job or whatever but like the main one is that i have my family which is my husband and he is my rock and I'm his. So it, it goes both ways. Um, and I believe, you know, in the 10 years, 11 years I've been doing this, that you can't just put this first. It, it does, it wears on you in a way that can be totally detrimental. And also, you won't make it because there's too much at stake with everything. And life, again, with all everything that I practice, life is so important and sacred. And life is not just your job in any career. It can be easy in ours in acting to feel that way because it's high stakes all the time, so much rejection, but it is, life is is still life. And so finding a partner that believes in the same things as I do and works as hard as I do as an actor was like the universe being like, here you go. You guys are su- supposed to be together and help each other through this. all of this.
7: <laughs> many of my guests and many of my listeners are actors. That said, everyone has to deal with rejection and loss. So to not let rejection or loss affect your identity, first up is leading lady, Sierra Boggess.
13: And I lost nothing. By having done the amount of work I did to do the audition, the same with if say with ever after two, I lose nothing by having gone in a hundred percent and having done the show in at the Alliance where we just were, or go to the Ordway and say that we don't get to move on, you lose nothing unless you have chosen unless you have said yes to a job that you don't want and you're doing it for the wrong reasons or. I call it not playing clean in the universe. Mm. Something manipulative or something like, you know, there's tons. You can fill in the blank for yourself of what those things would be. Or a lot of times, you know what I find is people taking jobs just for the money, especially in our industry. It's a tough one. And I know like people have feelings about it because you do have to
7: get insurance. you
13: got to. But you have. But I think it's important. Yes. Take a job for the money and. There has to be an and, um, or the weeks like for our insurance weeks for the weeks. And, and that can be as simple as, and to practice like having grace, practice my gratitude when I'm with people, practice being empathetic, practice being loving like that. It can be as simple as that. So go out of town. Maybe you're in a place that you don't want to be or something, but you need that money, but figure out something else besides just the money.
7: To work on. To
13: work on, right? You might as well. And to learn. And to learn. Damn it.
7: Most of the time, rejections or losses need to be reframed. We have to find the light. So here's Christina Alibado once again.
12: I wrestled with this for so long because I do so many developmental things, like I said, for people listening, like readings and workshops and labs, which is pre when a musical or show goes to it's you know full life um and with that you don't have a contract you don't have rights you don't have anything so you just do it and i have been replaced a lot and and that has been something that has been really i think more than the nose in the room that's been the hardest because you can't dis, you can't detach yourself from A four week lab of a show that you don't know you're going to continue with. Because the minute that you close off and say, this probably won't move forward with me, or if it does, I need to protect myself because I can't feel anything about this, like it's going to destroy me. You do not do good work. You cannot connect to a piece if you are already like protecting yourself by having one foot out the door. And so the thing that I have done is really lean into every experience as something specific and even if it's my one day being that person in the audition room, I get to be that person for a day, for 15 minutes, for four weeks doing a lab, for a regional tryout like of a show. You know, I've been through the gamut of nose in the room, nose after a workshop, nose after a full production that's transferring from out of town. And it's really hard. And I think if you try to tell yourself it's not disappointing is when you get in trouble is it can hurt. And if it doesn't, if you don't let yourself, you know, like all the things I read, if you don't let yourself have that and allow yourself to feel strongly, you're not gonna be, you're not gonna give enough to ever get anything. And so I do let myself be upset. I do let myself feel disappointed, feel hurt, feel betrayed, disrespected, whatever it is, whatever the emotion is with however it feels. But then, you take a second and you go, what's next? That was Mm -hmm. not, that was not written in the stars for me. There is nothing I can do to change that. So what's next? Let's go. Like, and every time I, it's, I, maybe it's a practice. Maybe it's just my mindset. I have done that. And it really helps me. Um, because it's just, my agent gave me great advice. The first time I got replaced from a big, big project that hurt bad, very bad. She was like, cry about it today. It's okay. But tomorrow get the F over it because this is going to keep happening to you because you have now done it. Congratulations. You're a successful actor in New York city. You will never not be replaced in things. You will never not have to deal with this emotion of feeling completely dug into the ground, come back out of it. And if you don't, then you're not going to make it. And I said, cool. I take that wholeheartedly. Um, It's thick skin, but it's also like, I'm good enough. I am good enough. And if you think for whatever reason, I'm not the person for you, it's not because I'm not good enough. It's not because I'm not capable. It's not because, and they can think whatever they want, but bottom line is it's a business for them too. And so they're going to okay. do what's best for them and I need to do what's best for me. So it it is to the listeners, it is challenging. It will never not be challenging, but you have to make the decision to get past it.
7: The only difference is when it's not a business loss, it's personal loss. Having lost my father and knowing that Broadway and recording artist Desi Oakley shares the same trauma, I was delighted to hear her say this.
6: There is no grieving or healing rulebook. There is no such thing as timing that's perfect in those ways. So loss, can take a lot of different shape in your life especially in your grieving and healing life and and if it's taking shape where it's still consuming you you know after a certain amount of time i would say that that, that doesn't deserve a label but as you know each of us are growing towards healing which i think is always the goal is to not sit in the sadness and as long as those tiny steps forward or toward healing, then that's enough. So, so there's no timing, there's no rule book, but each and every day, if it is, if the desire is to grow for away from the sadness or the pain, then you're doing all you need to do. That's it. Because there is, there are some people, you know, and it could be the way that you're wired, or it could be this particular loss that you had, that do feel they need to sit in the sadness and that they want to get comfortable there and they want to build their home there and they want to stay there and they want to, they want to get cozy in that pain and that there is a human tendency that, that does, that you will probably Mm. find that that's tempting. It is tempting to cozy up in that pain. Um, we feel sometimes safe as the victim. We feel sometimes safe as, um, the the one suffering um but as long as you're fighting against that every day whatever that looks like is like no i want i want to be healing or i want i want to feel better or i want this to become a part of my story or i as long as the desire is toward the light and toward the healing then that's enough that's enough And then you'll suddenly you'll wake up after who knows how long, and you will say, "Wow, this is a part of my story." And I might not be all the way healed, and I might not ever be, but gosh, I've I've come a long way, and wow, I've really used this, and I've really um, learned a lot from this. You know, it 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 will happen as long as the desire is there.
7: So, if this season at the end of 2020, if you are feeling down. I invite you to hear Sierra's words.
13: There's a quote, I don't know who says it, but I love it all the time, which is, remember why you started. And we can forget that with anything. I mean, that applies to every single job that you do, e- anyone.
7: Every role that you play in life.
13: Yes. Yeah. Remember why you started. And there has to be something that was, nobody's here by accident. Like there is something within us that we started for a reason. There is no one on this planet that is here that's like, oh, probably not you. We have to learn, as much as we wanna say that, <laughs> to be like, no, they, probably not them. <laughs> but it's like, no, them, because they are teaching us something. Amen. So remember why you started.
7: We are entering a new world. I never imagined I'd be in Mexico creating a podcast. So I want you to hear the through line of these next three guests. First up, we have the United Kingdom's media specialist, Jamie Boddy, talking about how to stay open to your artistry.
14: Because I was predominantly a dancer, I could hold a tune and I had like one or two audition songs, but for me, dance was what I did. And I think as all performers, we are in it. We attach our worth to to our skills and what we produce on stage. And we sometimes don't see the value of them off of stage or outside of the audition room. So it got to a point I was at Tokyo Disney. Um got back in late 2011. I was there for the earthquake, so that in itself was a an eye-opener because as a dancer, you never s- expect to be in a situation that could be so catastrophic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they took so they took care of us so well. But um, yes, yeah, so I got home and then I'd always like enjoyed film and media and photography, and I did a bit at like um, academic college before music theatre. So I thought I'd do a few little, um, little long distance courses on journalism and writing to see how it felt. And I was realizing the more I was going to press events, I was getting the same buzz that I got that when I was on stage, and that for me was such a light bulb moment when I was like, "Ooh." This, this makes me feel the same as when I'm performing or being clapped, like, as a performer. And I think it took me a very long time, though, to have the confidence to voice that in my circle. My friends are so supportive, but when you're actively auditioning, you don't want to take your eye off the prize because you almost feel a bit guilty because you've done that your whole life since you were a child. It's been your focus. And I remember I am... Um, I was very fortunate I back in danced on The Voice over in Ireland so the TV show The Voice one of the best jobs of my entire life live TV each week and then when I got back from that it was the very next day I had a cast in and I thought how lucky am I to have just done a job I love got back to London and the next day I have a cast in and someone said to me well what you're going to do next you've just done The Voice you need to do another job or it won't be as strong on your CV and I just thought I've not had a moment to enjoy what I've just done. And that for me was such a trigger to be like, no, I need to stop worrying about what other people's perceptions of what my career should be. And I think that's great that people are interested in me. However, (laughs) I'm the one that's got to go home and live my life, not them. So then I voiced what I wanted to do. And I found like maybe more people in the industry who were like, that's great. Tell me about that. Where can you study? What can you do? Because I'm not sure if you found this, Tony, as well, but when you transition a bit from performing, you're not at all the auditions anymore. And if you say to someone, I'm not going to that audition, they're kind of just like, oh, okay, because it doesn't fall into their world anymore. And it's not them being selfish at all. It's just their eyes still on that prize. So for me, I had a few light bulb moments. And then once I got more into journalism and press events and being on red carpets, I got that buzz. And then I found a way to... Combine my passion and my history and dance as an entertainment journalist. Like on red carpets, I knew who I knew who the choreographers were. I knew who the directors were. I knew to ask questions that maybe mainstream media outlets didn't ask because they just want to know how does it feel to be nominated for an Olivier. When I would be like, you've just had a five week R and D process into a rehearsal, and you've had to <laughs> reblock it. And like I was getting interviews and sound bites that other people weren't, and that wasn't because I think I'm the best journalist in the world but I think I knew to ask questions because it was my passion so I think anyone listening who's maybe thinking of a career change it's okay and sometimes you have to do something to know you don't want to do it and you can try something else and if it's not for you you can always go back to performing or if performing's really not getting getting you where you want either financially or mental health it's okay to try something else because I don't know any performer that just that just does one thing. We all have so many skills. So like, why void the world of those skills?
7: Now, said a different way, hear the nurturing voice of my New York City mama, Susan Icorn Young.
15: You've got to be pliable. You just have to be. And that I think is the big thing anyway. This time, you know, it's it, it, we don't have a choice, but I think that's something we all can learn moving through this time, we must stay pliable, we must stay innovative and creative and be able to make adjustments and not get so stuck in one aspect of what we do or how we do that, that we can't make some adjustments.
7: Finally, here's actor and writer Douglas Lyons.
4: But I want to be an artist of all facets. I don't, like, I don't want to be stuck. I think that's what I've learned this year is like, love the theater, adore the theater, but being an artist means you can be all these different things. I was telling a friend of mine last night, Janelle Monae, um, uh, who's the other one? Janelle Monet, Lady Gaga, theater girls. Mm-hmm. Like they were theater, Ariana Grande, theater artists who have become pop artists. So anything is possible for any of us. Um, and just being open to your artistry and not necessarily the lane that you thought you had to be in, I think is important.
7: So authenticity and finding an identity of who you are, that isn't your job. Still, I know that art is your job. So let's look at creating art for a moment. Douglas Lyons, once again, shares some great advice.
4: I would say the most important thing is what are you trying to say? like not oh this really cool story happened where like this guy flew out of a window and like fell and then turned it. it's like those are great details awesome 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 but like what's the take home a little bit so that you know what you're writing towards you know what the mission statement of your work is of that specific pieces that people know how to identify with you as an artist um so i would say knowing what you want to say is very important not being afraid to uh put pen to paper, like, even if it seems really stupid, um, write the characters down, write the dialogue. I think what happens is a lot of people judge themselves too early on and are like, oh, this is already not good. And it's like, well, you, you don't know that just yet. You might be right, but you're, you might be wrong. Um, so something I do very early on in my process is I find a director that I trust. So I'm hearing another voice that, you know, it's theater is, It's collaboration. As an actor, it feels a little singular because you're always prepping for yourself and trying to get a job. But as a writer, it takes 13 different departments for your work to even see the light of day correctly. And so you have to honor all those departments. And one of them is direction for me. Um, Very early on, I will lean on a director to go, how does this sound? And I have a core group of friends that I can send songs and text to who will read and give feedback. I just, yeah, I would say don't go too far al- along alone. I would say reach out to people you know um, so that it's not a lonely process. And if it doesn't go well, you're not like, oh, it's all my fault, because that can happen too. But usually if you collaborate with people, you won't get to that point where, it's, where it stinks. <laughs> and this is very similar to what
7: Disney legend and Broadway icon Leia Salonga shared about not only crafting new work, but also Her words.
16: I I try to, I try to make a decision on what I, on what I write If say, I'm going to write an article. I try to make sure that I do a good enough, enough research, um, and that it isn't just, uh, for example, when I'm crafting backstory, which is the name of my column, which I write for a paper here in Manila. I try to start it off with information and then let, like in the last couple of paragraphs, it's the, and now this is my point. For example, I just wrote like the last article I wrote was about Dynamite by BTS, which has been number one on the Billboard Hot 100 chart for two weeks in a row, and basically just exploded like Dynamite. (laughs) (laughs) So I wrote an article about them, but there was another reason why I wrote it. I, I, I started off, of course, with them. And here's the information of, of the group. These are this is what's going on. These are the stats for 2020. And now this is my point. My point was this there was quite not not just a little bit, but there was quite a good amount of racism against Asians and Asian-Americans because of this pandemic. Mm-hmm. You know, there were so many accusations against you know, the people of my part of the world, um, that, that we brought the virus into the United States, that we brought the spreading the virus all over the world. And so there has just been this anti-Asian backlash. Um, you know, there have been a couple of uh, campaigns that were set up because of it. Um, there's the racism is a virus one, and there's the fight the virus, fight the, yeah, there was that. That was another, there were a couple of campaigns the response then of what is arguably the biggest K-pop boy band in the world was to release a single whose sole purpose was to put positive vibes like crazy out into the universe and make people happy. I'm like, that is like the classiest thing. That, that, is, the, that is the total embodiment of, of Michelle Obama's quote of when they go low, we go high. I'm like, that is the, that's the first thing that hit me was like, oh my God, this song is so much fun. This is like song of the summer contender. And then the more I listen to it, the more I'm like, oh my God, it's, it's subversive in a good way. Um, This is, it's, it's, it's almost as if you're representing every single Asian person on the planet saying you can kick us down if you want but we're going to still respond with positivity and good vibes and making people happy and trying to comfort and cheer on this world in this time of of COVID-19. It's classy. It's so classy. I still can't get over how classy it is. And as an Asian person, I couldn't be more proud.
7: (laughs) (laughs) So if art is figuring out what you want to say and then letting it come out or through you, what happens when the artist gets in their own way? I'm going to let Sierra take this one.
13: And Tyne Daly, the great Tyne Daly, says um, she always like has some pearl of wisdom before we would go on stage or something. One of the things that she says is get off yourself and get on the other. So if you're going on stage even and you're thinking like, how does this make me feel, my character and stuff? It's not enough. Get on the other. Listen to the other. You know, it can't just be For me, 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 me.
7: This perspective of focusing on the other is very similar to the success of vlogger Tyler Mount. And here is his process for peak performance through video.
17: At the beginning of my career, I had such a mental block with, again, we kind of talked about about this idea of like, who do I think I am? Who do I think I am to have a web series? People are going to think I'm a joke. People are going to think I'm stupid. Who am I to invite Broadway star X to my living room in Hell's Kitchen who has never met me and they're knocking on my apartment door and I'm like, hey, will you have a drink with me in front of all these cameras in my living room and then will you kneel on the floor and let's dance? Like, Literally, who am I to think that I deserve to have any of that in my life? Um, And at the end of the day, I realized so many people my age, younger, older would die for that experience. Right. And that's why it was so resonating with so many people. It was like, I always like to say that I was channeling seventh grade Tyler on my series. It was Anthony Rapp, star of Rent, literally came to my house and we sang La Vie M on my couch. Right. Like seventh grade Tyler would still be in bed. Like I uh, I just would always remind myself before I started filming, I would look into the camera and I would remember that there was a seventh grade Tyler in small town Texas watching this. And this is the only thing that he or she would watch today to get them through.
7: You have to focus on your audience, which is a nice transition to my fourth point. Art is a business. Here is what young artist and producer Jelani Aladdin has to say about
0: the arts? Uh, that it's not a fairy tale. Mm. <laughs> you know, I think that when you're on the outside, you you really believe that like, wow, like it's a fairy tale. Like, look at all these, you know, these stars and how pretty they are. And But they're real people too. <laughs> They eat and shit just like you, <laughs> and they uh, also have stresses and 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 uncertainties and difficult decisions to make and hard times and sad times and all those things exist within those people. Um, so the fairy tale that like you get to Broadway or you get to a. series regular job and a TV show, a hit TV show, and you get a Tony award and an Emmy award and everything's great. Your life is perfect. That's not really, that's not real. (laughs) I don't think that exists in any business really. Um, So I think that's just a misconception about, about our business in general. And because sometimes our job is to make it look easy right? Our job is to, you don't want to see effort. When I go to, uh, when I watch anything, I'm like, I want to see the work. I just want to see someone living through something, right? And that is a misconception that people think, oh, it's so easy. I can do it too. But it takes hard ass motherfucking work to get this thing um, at a level that is great, exceptional. um, And I think that In the beginning, I was like, oh, this has got to be so easy. They're just like on stage running around singing and dancing. And or they're on screen, you know, saying a couple lines while like, you know, acting out on set. That's so easy. (laughs) It's not. And you know, for some people, it may come easy, um, but uh, for me, it's always been hard work.
7: It does require hard work, but practice makes perfect and repetition is really great learning. So here is Nathan Lee Graham sharing about his advice for the business of the arts.
8: Okay, here's the thing. Um, The business is very subjective. So uh, I've seen people come and I've seen them go. I've seen them burn bright as a comet and then, just like a comet, burn out. What's mostly impressive to me is consistency and discipline. This is what I learned at Webster. Consistency and discipline. It's my reputation on every set and every show that I do. And to go along with that, my advice to students is really, really simple. And you would be amazed how many don't do it. Which is, show up on time. Know your lines. Hit your mark and don't be an asshole. You would be amazed how many of those things, how those four things, those four uh, pillars are not heated on a regular basis. You would be amazed by that.
7: Interestingly, Tyler Mount says the same thing about creating content.
17: The first thing I always talk about is consistency. As artists, it is very, very hard, especially if you don't have a boss telling you what to do to remain consistent. And it is the biggest downfall of new content creators for several reasons. A, let's talk about the very technical aspect. Platforms like YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, they all have proprietary algorithms that crave, love, and thrive on consistency. Why? Because it tells the algorithm that you are a respected real brand that is posting real content, right? So whenever I started, it was non-negotiable. I posted every Monday and Thursday at noon without exception. If I had the flu, I was posting. If I was going out on vacation for two weeks, I would have filmed four episodes the week before. It was non-negotiable, right? Um, Then on top of it, it is all about, what is my magic word? It is all about being authentic, You can tell in the first three seconds if someone is doing something for an ulterior motive, right? If I'm vlogging to be famous, I can read right through it, and it isn't funny, it isn't cute, and I don't want to watch any more of your content. I gained a name in the Broadway community not because I had a vlog, but because I was authentic on the vlog, and people identified with that, right? And so I think of some of the bigger or the biggest, rather, content creators in the YouTube space, people like Tyler Oakley, who – are famous because they are authentic, right? So I think first consistency, second authenticity, um, and you have to really, really, really be a business person at the end of the day. You have, this is a business, right? So it is understanding Why am I making the decisions I make? We all like to think we have good taste, right? Everyone thinks they have good taste. They wouldn't be a content creator if they weren't. But I'll be the first to admit that although I think I have good taste, I always don't have the best taste. Meaning, at the end of the day, I look at the numbers. The numbers will never, have never, can never lie. I will produce something that I think is the best thing I've ever produced and it just is terrible, from an analytic standpoint, people don't watch it. It doesn't resonate with people. And at the end of the day, you know what that means? It doesn't mean I'm terrible. It doesn't mean that I'm stupid. It just means the content I produced doesn't resonate and it's quote unquote, not good content for my niche audience, plain and simple. But then once you start producing more and more work, you can look at all the, the data and start to make comparisons and block trends and see, Oh, this actually does resonate with my audience and starting to produce content that more stems to that vein, et cetera. So-
7: now, even two time Tony winning producer, Ken Davenport practices consistency and discipline. Listen to this.
18: Listen, you you get married, you have a child, you find yourself wanting to go home to spend time with that kid want before she goes to bed. Like it's it's part of what happens, which is great. But I can't stop doing the other stuff. I hire myself, right? I don't have a nine to five, 10 to six. I'm not gonna get paid unless I produce, unless I create. So, and I'm really not willing to take that job in Wall Street that I talked about. It's not what I wanna do, which means I have to figure it out. And that's what entrepreneurs do, that's what entrepreneurs do, you figure it out. I get up every morning at five o'clock in the morning, I go downstairs to my Starbucks in my building and I spend an hour writing because that's the only time I can find to do it. I go to the Starbucks because we're living in a one bedroom apartment. My daughter is sleeping in a walk-in closet and it's tough and it ain't easy, but that's what we do right now. And that'll change. We actually have an apartment. We're moving. I created a little workspace so I can be home more. Um, But it's, it's about figuring it out. And again, However challenging it may be for you, me, everybody, we all have our unique challenges. There's so many other people out there that have it much more challenging than we do. And that's what I try to think about is that, wow, I'm blessed. Look at this. I'm so lucky. I get to do what I love to do every day. So, yeah, I can figure out how to find the time to do it more, how to find the time to spend time with my daughter.
7: I have a new business development mastermind that starts in January. It is weekly and affordable coaching with me. But one of the lessons I took from coaching artists and entrepreneurs during the pandemic is that artists are entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs are artists. So whether you are pivoting or preparing I love what Built for the Stage founder Joe Roscoe shared about business.
19: It's important to like know why you're getting into it and what your vision for it is five or 10 years down the road. Uh, If it doesn't go that far, if it strictly is just a side hustle, then you might just want to dive in headfirst right out of the gate and just start hustling. If you're wanting to really see this further down the road five or 10 years from now, I would encourage you to surround yourself with as many people that have already done it, and it doesn't necessarily have to be the exact um, topic or or business field that you are wanting to enter into, but just someone who has has done the grind of starting their own business and seemingly is successful at it, and you obviously can learn a lot from that. Um, and then it's it's faking it until you until you make it from that person or the other resources that you study or uh, listen to, you then try to adapt that in your own way and just continue to figure it out as you go. As an entrepreneur, you have to be resilient. You have to be willing to uh, pivot ball change for your life, just pivoting and pivoting and pivoting. And you have to have thick skin as well. And just like in a career of theater, you can't just like the idea of being an entrepreneur, or the idea of being your own boss, or the idea of of owning your own business. But you have to be willing to do what it takes and to accept all of the responsibility that comes with it. You know, an employee might have a list of things that they uh, can be uh, upset about or or not love. But at the end of the day, they typically go to bed at night, you know, not worrying about if their job going to be there tomorrow. Whereas the entrepreneur, especially in 2020, um, you're, you're just maybe wide awake at night thinking, how will we survive? So um, whoever out there is looking to start, surround yourself with people that have already done it. Make sure that it's not just the idea, but that you are willing to kind of dig your feet in the sand and get ready for some work.
7: With even more truth bombing, here's Jen Waldman with some advice for the artist.
9: Well, I do think that it's an integrity crisis. So I think the first thing is to get clear on whether or not you are indeed a person of integrity. So when I look at integrity, what that means to me is that what you believe what you say and what you do are in alignment. And part of what I think is a big challenge, especially for interpretive artists like actors, dancers, singers, etc., is that it often feels like they have to wait for someone to give them permission to do their work. And so that that component of what you do can sometimes feel like it's out of alignment because there's... abundance of people and not as much an abundance of opportunity. So what I hope people will start to do is shift their mindset around how they are seeking the work that they want to make. So rather than thinking of it as seeking permission, thinking of it as seeking other artists who are trying to make the same change as you and then make it together.
7: So authenticity, identity beyond your job, be an artist and business, but what makes someone an effective change maker? Well, (laughs) Mila Atmos articulated that for us.
3: I think the consistency is that they have confidence that whatever they do will work. I think a lot of people like to be naysayers or a lot of people try to talk themselves out of doing things but not these people all of them think you know what i'm gonna try it uh i'm gonna go out there and do this thing and uh they are um maybe just fearless fearless and confident people
7: who are fearless have the ability to create change here's casting director writer, educator, speaker, fairy godmother, Kate Lumpkin, talking about fearlessness and making change.
1: I've been very outspoken about this. I think we need to see not just women, but I think we need to see more, you know, GNC, non-binary, female-identifying, male-identifying, trans people who are not just white cis men in positions of power. Um, And I think we're already seeing, I don't know if you watched any of the news yesterday, we're seeing what can happen when those people, when people of color, when women, women of color, um, trans people are in positions of power, what incredible, fearlessness there is Um, and it's powerful, potent stuff. Um, And I think, you know, it's really interesting casting. There are a lot of female identifying casting directors. There are a lot of us, but they're still mostly producers that are um, cis white men. And the producers are the people who actually make final decisions, not the casting directors. Um, And so I think we have seen a lot of, especially female identifying casting directors who are making bold moves and, and not just FI, but you know, A lot of casting directors who are trying to create different stage pictures, something that I really, really, really set out to do, make the world on stage look like the world we live in. Why is that such a revolutionary thing? I don't get it, but I've been really fortunate to work with a lot of young producers, a lot of young GM teams, a lot of new writers, a lot of people of color, a lot of, um, you know, People of just varying identities, backgrounds, experiences of life. And because of that, you know, I think the pictures that we see on stage in a lot of the shows that I've cast are a lot more reflective of the world that we live in. I've been really fortunate to work with people who just aren't scared. Um, And I think that that lack of fear does come from, you know, we're just kind of throwing it against the wall and we're trying to make it happen and let's take creative risks and do interesting stuff. Um, So, I mean, my hope is not just that we see more uh, inclusivity and and diversity, whatever kind of buzzword you want to use, more real people who live in this world in real people jobs. Um, But also I I hope we see more vocal allies of our white cis men um, who are willing to stand up for people, you know, who are willing to allow other people to work with them and you know, above them and all these things. I've also had great experiences in that, that reality too, which is awesome. Now we just need to see more of that. Um, and I I hope, especially in our, in our political world that we really, really, really start, you know, I, I think for better or for worse, what's currently happening in our, um, government is at least getting people to wake up and to go vote and to show up and march and do things. And we can't stop that. My only hope for the future is no matter what happens in our next elections or any of that, uh, that we don't stop staying awake <laughs> and we don't stop voting. It, it, this continues and the cycle only increases that we, that we keep getting new faces in politics. I think we need a younger generation of people, no matter what they look like, no matter what their experience is, to show up for positions of power in across the board, in the arts, in politics. Um, and when we do that, especially in the arts, we will see a reflection in our politics. Guys, entertainment is what shifts the world. We know this. Um, the stories and, that
7: we tell, whether it's yeah. to ourselves or to the the person watching the work.
1: Yeah. And... We, you know, I say this to all the kids that I teach across the country. We've been doing three things since the dawn of time. We've been eating food, making babies, and telling stories. And, you know, that's it. So the stories that we tell are what shape our societies, they are what inform our politicians, and they are what, more importantly, inform the voters, which is what informs the politicians. So I think it's our responsibility to keep creating art with people who look like the people in our world, keep creating opportunities for artists to tell their stories, and um, most importantly, we need to train the next generation of producers, and we need to widen the scope of what that looks like, um, and we need to make sure that, you know, people, in those positions to make final decisions um, have had different experiences of a life.
7: The through line here that we need to continue to hold our producers and writers accountable to was articulated by Katherine Allison.
11: It's so important that we reflect the world that we live in. The world that we live in is not one thing. Not everybody looks the same. Um, and that can be frustrating when you're entering a situation, you're like a wealth of perspectives gets lost. And I think that's doing such a disservice to, to the art, you know, the, the entertainment industry is one of collaboration. Not one person can do the whole thing by themselves without including multiple people along the way. And I'm not, exactly sure where the fear comes from but I mean I guess I have some idea but I think every art form will be elevated by it I think that's the exciting part it's like there's nothing bad that can come from <laughs> from including BIPs black indigenous people of color the LGBTQ community and having all shapes and sizes on stage. Like that just sounds like a beautiful group of people making some incredible art.
7: I also love what constant ally Susan Eichhorn Young shares about the seismic shifts of 2020.
15: We have um, unconsciously been um, kind of set up for lack of a better word to think we we can only do X, Y, Z or X, Y, Z to my Canadian peoples, um, you know, that we we can't inhabit there because it's not been allowed. And, you know, that's where the Black Lives Matter movement is getting stronger and stronger, where, you know, um, artists of color, Indigenous artists, Black artists are saying, wait a minute, and those of us who want to build allyship and go and work with anti- anti-racism, need to say, no, wait a second, what are we doing here? These are stories that need to be told. And in theater, are we not, don't we learn that because of the archetype of stories that anyone can inhabit that to tell the story because those stories are bigger than we are.
7: So we can't gloss over it. It was a rough year. I'll avoid mentioning a certain person, but, Two-time Emmy Award-winning journalist Roma Tori speaks about the state of media here.
20: Facts today have um, tragically turned into um, the equivalent of mercury. It's impossible to convince people that a real fact is is concrete, is unimpeachable. You know, everybody seems to have a different idea of what the truth is these days, and um, those of us trying to maintain the old standards are being totally drowned out by the whole sensationalist media mongers who naturally get more attention just because they're loud. Um, The news business should be, and I know this sounds anathema to the whole notion of, you know, the fact that news is a business, but news should be boring, essentially. Um, If we do it right, you know, like C-SPAN, you want the facts and you want people, you know, you want to allow people the opportunity to make their own judgments based on just the very basic facts, and we don 't have that anymore, so we are being led by the nose by people who have an agenda, sad to say, and uh, it shouldn 't never ha- should never be that way, but it is so misconceptions about you know news anchors we 're all very different people, and um, I, I really hope that TV watchers TV news viewers understand that they have to be um, very, very conservative about how they choose or who they choose to listen to in the news business because there really is no regulation. And, you know, as my mom used to say, there's no, there's no, um, there are no rules essentially pertaining to who gets to be a newscaster, you know, and especially today. But you, you don't need a license. There's no certification at all. You don't have to pass a test. So anybody can get on there, and especially now with the incursion of, um, of social media, anybody with a microphone can get on there and just blast away, say whatever they feel. And it, there's really, it's very difficult for people to decide who's telling the truth and who's not. And you know, that, that is very disturbing to me. And I don't know, you know, now that the trend has really sort of taken hold, I don't know if we'll ever go back to any kind of um, journalism where you can trust the, the news person who's behind the camera or in front of the camera. You can't. You really can't. Uh. So I'm, I'm, I'm really kind of depressed over the state of uh, journalism today. It's, uh, it's not very encouraging to see how, uh, how it has transpired.
7: I really love the way that Leia Salonga shared her approach to handling political conflicts and debates when speaking out.
16: There's always going to be, you know, an expletive, expletive, expletive person um, out there, Um, you know, whose whose sole, you know, reason for living seems to be giving people a hard time um, or just being on the attack, um, which I really don't understand. I mean, this is a tough world already, and I don't get why there are people who... Who just want to spread negativ- negativity? It's not about being critical. Critical is one thing, but you know the ad hominem times one hundred attack is what I don't understand. It's it's like there, you know. So I try to be as good an example as I can be, even if I'm about to interact with someone whose views may not necessarily jive with my own. I have to try and keep it as classy and as non-judgmental as I can, as difficult as it can be. I figured that if I, if, I, if I always try to stay on the, you know, trying to use as much logic and reason as possible, you um, know, while still passionately trying to defend my own views, then, you know, then maybe we won't have to come to an agreement right now, but, but you know, the other person engaging with me should know, That they can safely share their views um, and not get insulted. I'm I'm not going to go down to that level just because, I mean, why? I mean, there has to be, at the very least, there has to be respect between myself and whoever's reading my stuff. I have to, you know, I don't want to insult anybody's intelligence. And so so the strategy, I guess, is to, to try to be as transparent as possible, to be very... Um, to always word things as simply and as directly as I can, um, you know, and to, and to time things for when I'm not so heated in the head. Mm. Um, sometimes though, I can't help that and I get myself in trouble.
7: (laughs) (laughs) Now this might sound Pollyanna and silly, but truly consider Christine Cole's idea for bringing people together.
2: Uh, I think that we need to have acceptance for the beautiful diversity that exists. And I think that food is an amazing connector. So I think that we should have dinner parties with world leaders and artists and children, all at the same table. um, And then we should play Uno at the end and, um, and have people skip together down the street as they leave uh and have yeah allow service and food and experience of the evening um to cause uh, a connection to people who might be very who are very different in maybe their religious or um backgrounds or their um um, political philosophies.
7: The final lesson deals with success. Broadway Black founder Drew Shade keeps it real with his definition of success.
21: Success is being happy, uh, with what you're doing, with what you place your hands on. Success is, um, yes, yes, being happy, but also being able to find a way to monetize your, 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 your gift. Um, what's your best at? And, and I know that a lot of people say, oh, well, you don't, you know, the the money is not the most important thing. Well, bitch, I got bills to pay. I got things to do and I got life that I want to live. And I can't live life off of experience as mu- as great as it is. Um, success is being able to find a way to do what you love and monetize it. And I've been able to do that. And so I feel as though I'm successful. Even if I may be scraping by some days, my bills are paid, I can still eat. Um, I can still live life and, and experience life and not have to worry. And that wasn't always the case. There were some some months and some days where I was literally going to events just to eat. I was going to events just to figure out, oh, well, maybe somebody might let me sleep on their couch tonight. You know, And I'm, I'm sh- sharp to the nines, you know what I'm saying? Dressed to, to, to the, the very 10. And i didn't have a place to live i didn't have food to to eat um and that's a real experience and not everybody has to go through that in order to get to where they want to be, but that was an experience for me and so uh in order for me to in order for me to feel as though i'm I've been successful, I just wanted to eat I just wanted to pay my bills um and so that's success for me, and i enjoy i enjoy doing what I love, you know what i mean and and um i'm not I'm not sacrificing my soul for for a coin either. I'm not sacrificing what it is that I, my morals and my values just to get paid. I'm doing what I love. Um, I am uh, being adamant about where I stand in my morals and values, and I'm also able to make a coin. That's success.
7: This is very close to the way Ken Davenport defines success.
18: Success is doing what you love with the people you love and with who loves you. And that's it. That's it. It starts with doing stuff you love and then surrounding yourself with people that you love who also love you back, finding your community, finding your tribe. But it's really that first part about if you're doing what you love, I don't care where it is. Look, a lot of people say like, I want to write, I want to act, I want to wherever, period. It's not, I want to act on Broadway. That's a different goal. I want to write a Broadway show. That's a different goal. It comes with its own unique set of challenges. But if you want to be an actor, you can be an actor anywhere in the world. We'll figure it out. You want to be a writer? We'll get to show up. Maybe your show is set for high schools or regional theaters, or maybe you want to do a show on a sidewalk. But we can get you to create theater. We can get you to act. We can get you to do all those things. Success is not defined unless you define it that way by a specific theater in Times Square. Success is defined again, by I think just doing what you love and being surrounded by people you love.
7: Still, my whole intent of creating this podcast and two years worth of content was seeking practical ways that we as artists can use our gifts to change the world. So I wanna share a little bit more practical advice from my friend, Romatori.
20: I think you can't have success until you fail and fail a lot. And success is in the climbing. It's not in reaching something that you regard as success. It's in, it's in the effort. And so uh, I look at each day as a challenge. And if I can get through the day and feel that I did my best uh, despite all of the obstacles and all the odds against me, and I can hold my head up high and say, darn it, I, you know, I, I did what I could, um, then that to me is a success. And so it, success is a day-to-day effort. And I'm kind of happy about the fact that, you know, once we did file that lawsuit, whether we win or not, I don't care at this point. I mean, I, wait, I, ah, I take that back. Of course I care. But we have done so much to start that conversation and continue the conversation that um, I feel that we have successfully um, made our point, no matter how it ends.
7: So if you think of the most successful people, picture someone in your mind who you deem as super successful. They are probably somewhat hard to get a hold of. So as you increase your own success, it's important that you take the best care of yourself. So here's Dr. Susan Carol Burke, my therapist, sharing some important advice for your long-term health.
2: We assume that people are just always accessible and we allow ourselves to always be accessible. So we, we set ourselves up in many ways to be contacted 24 seven friends, employers, family. And I, I think we need to do a better job of, of letting people know there's there's a reason why we have certain hours. Um, and it's not that I, I'm not going to be able, you're not going to ever be able to reach me off hours, but here, here are the things that you can do. And depending upon what constitutes a crisis, and you can discuss what those things might be, here's how to get hold of me in the, ex, in, in the exception that they're, there is something that is really critically going on where you need to reach me immediately and not to abuse that privilege
7: to end and bring us back to the beginning here's the way j robert spencer talks about measuring success
22: i don't think anyone should be measured for success i i think then that puts everyone in a in their own box um I, and it, it it separates us I I think that everyone has their own talents. And man, there's so many guys out there that are better songwriters than me. I know that. And better singers and better actors and better humans than me. I know that. I think that when, if you measure success, then that's when you become unhappy. That's when you start, you can start picking away at yourself by saying well look what they're doing look what that person's doing and believe me everyone has gone through that of look what they're doing look what they're doing and I'm not and you can't you cannot be in that woe is me world you're allowed to go there every now and then we're human but you can't stay in there um, you can't let anyone else pick away at what you are and what you bring And I bring a different thing than the next guy. I don't bring it any better or any worse. I just bring something different. I think we all bring something different.
7: So after two years and 23 conversations, my biggest takeaways and lessons are authenticity, you have to be yourself. Identity, discover who you are beyond what you do. Be an artist and a business. Find the harmony between. Be fearless. It is required to make change and become a change maker. And success is an action. It is a pursuit. You define what that word means. Thank you so much for listening. You'll find links to each of these 23 change maker conversations in the notes with this episode. But I wanna hear from you. Who or what spoke to you? What was your biggest lesson of 2020? Take a screenshot of this episode and tag me with your thoughts. Or leave a review on Apple Podcasts. As we head into not only a new year, but a new world. I'm gonna be shifting to videos. We may create a special podcast episode here or there, but I'd invite you to make sure you are subscribed to the Changemaker community. Tonight, December 28th, 2020, and additional times throughout the years ahead, I'll be holding a free live class for our members. So make sure that you are subscribed. Hop over to TonyHowell.co, and I hope to see you very soon. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Connor Lynch for guiding and editing this show for two years. Thank you also to all of the incredible guests for your contributions. Now, it's up to you. How can you use your work to change the world? Maybe you and I can have a conversation about it very soon.
19: 18 plus.